Good evening, everybody. Good to see you. God bless you. Glad you're all here with us. Some thunderstorms, huh? Man, we're going to get some tonight. I can, I think I'm getting a headache to prove it. So uh, <laughs> I know some of you get those headaches when the storms are going to change. It's it's the Lord's wonderful way of keeping me very, very humble and needy and leaning upon him, and I'm so grateful for that. Uh, but, you know, when I think of those storms, you know, it's like the storms of life. Here we are in the book of Judges. You know, we're coming an end to this book, and it's been a, it's been a good study, but I think a difficult study for some of us. I know for me, as I look back and then look at society and the culture today, there are so many coincidences, you know, I mean, not coincidence, so many commonalities between the two. There is no coincidence. This is what I meant to say. And you just look at it and you can't miss it. And I really believe the Lord, just like he was with Israel, is so madly in love with us, wanted us or wanted them to humble themselves, to get in right relationship, and to obey. And they would avoid so many of the things that were snares by the devil, by the flesh, and by the world, just waiting to devour them. If they would just honor his, his love letters, his word, his commandments and statutes. And uh, as, we, you know, as we close this, I, 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 do, I am excited. We're going to be moving to the book of Ruth next, obviously. We're going to be continuing on. I mean, that's an amazing book in itself. I mean, Every book of the Bible, I say that. I always say it's my favorite book, my favorite passage, but I, I love it all. So please turn to Judges chapter 20 this evening. You know, we, we've been looking at Gibeah's crime. You know, I'm, it's hard to reconcile what the, what the Levite, you know, did by sending the, the body parts all around you know, Israel like that to the 11 tribes. I mean, hor- hor- horrific. I think we could say that. Horrific. Everybody agreed. Amen. Horrific. And I, if I could, you know, entitle the, the teaching here tonight, I would say simply two wrongs don't make a right. Two wrongs don't make a right. And the quicker we are to look at others and be so clear to point out their sin, often we forget the sin of our own hearts. And it's one of the most interesting chapters, 20 and 21, where we get to see this idea where Israel, the 11 tribes, well, 10, because obviously, you know, the tree of Levi was not going to go into the battle. They humble themselves. They call to the Lord. They're going to pray to him, not once, but twice. And they're going to ask for God's favor and God's will. And in both times, the exact opposite of what they would have expected to happen, happened. Mass carnage for Israel. 20-something plus thousand people will die. And, and Israel's like, what? Lord, we sought you. We, we went to you. And, and then the second time again, Lord. And then finally, the third time, they start to get wise to what was going on that there was a sin issue in their own hearts. And that hadn't been dealt with. Repentance was needed, correction. A good dad corrects his boys and his girls, right? He loves you, you know? 
A good father does that. And I think sometimes we go to God and we, we presume or we might ask for things. And, and that's okay. God wants to know those things that we need in our hearts. And, but often I think sometimes we, we forget to say, Father, we love you and I'm sorry. Forgive me. Forgive me for the things that I've done, the things that I didn't intend to do, the compromises I've made. Because I, I never want to do anything to create a wedge in the relationship you and I have. You're preeminent in my life. And most importantly, God, you are faithful and just to forgive anyone. There's no sin that's too great that the Lord Jesus Christ will not forgive you of. Doesn't that just give you a great appreciation and love for our Lord? That we can approach him in anything. You know, maybe there's somebody in a prison listening to this right now and thinking to himself, well, I've, I've murdered, I've done some things. God could never forgive me. God could never receive me. Oh, you're mistaken. Pay attention tonight. Listen to these chapters. When you repent, God will always be your guide. Amen? Let's look at chapter 20. We'll bow our heads and pray and begin. Father, anoint your word here tonight, Lord. These, again, are difficult chapters. As we finish this book, Lord, your, your book here, thank you for the time and study you've given us, Lord. We look forward to a, a time where, Lord, we'll be moving into you know, the book of Ruth. And, uh, Lord, every single word, every jot and tittle, Lord, is for our instruction, is so good to us. Lord Jesus, we ask you to wash our minds here tonight. Forgive us, Lord, if there is any sin remaining in our hearts, things that are deep down in depths that we're not even aware of. We pray, forgive us for that sin now, Jesus Christ. And we pray this in your holy name, almighty God. Amen. So all the children of Israel came out from Dan to Beersheba, as well as from the land of Gilead. And the congregation gathered together as one man before the Lord at Mitzvah. Finally, we see Israel coming together for something in a response. And, and quite honestly, they were standing up to what was wrong. They were standing up for the sin that was going on in the nation. So they were shocked, and this is a good thing. This is a good thing. When people, when Christians stand up, when they see gross sin going on and point out, no, this is wrong. You know, this is wrong. And the leaders of all the people, all the tribes of Israel, presented themselves in the assembly of the people of God, 400,000 foot soldiers who drew the sword. Now the children of Benjamin heard the children of Israel had gone up to Mitzvah. Then the children of Israel said, tell us how did this wicked deed happen? Now the Levite's going to testify here. He's going to give a description. However, he's going to leave some important details out that you might remember from chapter 19. But he, he's going to recount this, and, and they're saying, how did this happen? You know, you've got our attention. You sent body parts. I mean, you've got our attention. What's going on here? This is, this is incredibly gross misconduct. Terrible sin. So tell us, how did this wicked deed happen? So the Levite, the husband of the woman who was murdered, answered and said, My concubine and I went into Gibeah which belongs to Benjamin, to spend the night. And the men of Gibeah rose against me and surrounded the house at night because of 
uh, because of me. They intended to kill me, but instead they ravished my concubine so that she died. Now, were there some details left out out there? Yes, there was. The master of the house where the Levite was staying at said, take, you know, my daughter and take this concubine. Oh. And the Levite left out the fact that he was able to go to sleep and have a good night's sleep while his concubine, his wife, you know, was raped and murdered. Horrible. So he says, And I went into Gibeah, which belongs to Benjamin, and the men of Gibeah rose against me, surrounded the house at night because of me. They intended to kill me, did they? Or did they intend to, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah all over again? But instead they ravished my concubine so that she died. So I took hold of my concubine, cut her into pieces, and sent her throughout all the territory of the inheritance of Israel because they committed lewdness and outrage in Israel. And what he did was no better. What he did was no better. I mean, this is shocking and just horrible. Look, all you are children of Israel. Give your advice and counsel here and now. So the Levite, again, knowing the law, understanding all this, turns and looks to those gathered. Remember, there's some 400 plus thousand gathered that are listening to this and says, can you give, us, can you give me counsel on this? What, what do you think we should do, right? So all the people arose as one man, saying, None of us will go to his tent, nor will any turn back to his house. But now this is the thing which we will do to Gibeah. We will go up against it by lot. Now they find backbone and commitment. <laughs> what about this whole time that they have been, you know, sinning and committing idolatry? I mean, they're not far from the area of, of Shiloh, where the actual tabernacle is, you know, the mercy seat. We read nothing of them going there and, you know, seeing anything remotely of having a prayer meeting or anything like that to just pray for God's, you know, deliverance from such evil and wickedness in the day. Now, now they will go and seek after the Lord, but, but they said, no, we're going to stand up to Gibeah and we'll go against them by lot. Now, again, that is good. I don't want to minimize that, right? They stood in the gap. When there was sin going on, they stood in the gap. That was the right thing to do. But now this is the thing that we will do to Gibeah. We'll go against them by lot. We will take 10 men out of every 100 throughout all the tribes of Israel, 100 out of every 1,000 and 1,000 out of every 10,000 to make provisions for the people that when they come to Gibeah in Benjamin, that they may repay all the vileness that they had done in Israel. Seems like a good response. It seems like justice, right? But they're going to do something first. They're going to trust, but they're going to verify. So all the men of Israel were gathered against the city, united together as one man. Then the tribe of Israel sent men through all the tribes of Benjamin, saying, what is this wickedness that has occurred among you? Notice that. In previous books or previous chapters, I should say, even in Judges, we know that often, Book of Joshua and other places, you know, there's this rush in, right? I think to I, remember the battle in I, or different things. Like There's this idea of rushing in, but they seem to 
be taking it a little bit slower. They're, they're going in, they're, tr you know, they trust, they trust what the Levite's saying, but they're verifying everything. That's a good instruction. If you're writing notes in your margin, that's a good instruction for us as well. We don't, we don't always want to rush in and just react. We need to be prayerful. We need to be, you know, seeking the Lord in his will. We need to be, you know, patient and long-suffering. Now, therefore, deliver up the men that, you know, deliver the perverted men specifically who are in Gibeah that we may put them to death and remove the evil from Israel. No straighter words. Sin is evil, isn't it? Sin is evil. There, there's no mincing the words there. I, I think it's a, a beautiful passage that brings out the truth that anytime we do sin or we bring sin, it is evil doings. It's evil works, workings, and we can try justifying that and doing that, but, but it's, it's not a work of the Lord. And they were going to follow the law. The law would have been capital punishment. That was what the law was. So this is not something that they were taking it to that next step, and they were being very specific. Please notice this. They're making a big deal about this because you're going to see later on they're going to change their tune. And they're going to go and destroy women and children and villages. And I mean, from people that weren't even involved in the crime, involved in sin. But the children of Benjamin would not listen to the voice of their brethren, the children of Israel. What do you think the reason for that was? If I'd ask you tonight, why? Do you think that, you know, Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin, and specifically why they wouldn't give up those that were guilty, those that had committed or, you know, rape and then murder, why would they not give them up? You think it might have something to do with a, maybe a hard heart? A hard heart towards the Lord? Little do they know. This act could take and cancel out the entire tribe of Benjamin because of the consequence of their sin. Instead, the children of Benjamin gathered together from the cities to Gibeah to go to battle against the children of Israel. Now, this is important. I want you to think about the numbers we're talking about here, right? Um, we're going to be looking at it in a minute. I mean, Eventually, they're going to tell you specifically, we're going to read that out of the tribes, it's going to be the tribe of Judah. That tribe has approximately 76,500, okay, folks in it. And then you got the tribe of Benjamin, 45,600. You think the numbers are a little skewed? Yeah? But Benjamin isn't backing down. You know why? Pride and arrogance. Pride can blind us, can it? Arrogance can blind us. We could end up standing up and, and fighting and going to battle for something if we just would have repented and got right with the Lord. His mercy and grace is new every day. But there is no desire for reconciliation with Benjamin. They know the law. There, there is no desire of that. And, and the reason I keep bringing this out is because today we just see Sin City happening all over, right? I mean, we're seeing mass riots going on right now in cities. And, and look, what happened to that gentleman is 
horrific, horrible, unacceptable. But to destroy, to loot, to harm other men that had nothing to do with it? Friends, two wrongs don't make a right. We couldn't have timed this any different with the passage we're in. And it's got my heart just in touch with the application of this is happening today because people aren't following out. Remember what the book of Judges in chapter 19 and 18, remember how it started? There was no king in Israel. There was no spiritual king. They weren't looking to God as sovereign. Friends, in the United States of America, I know this is, is going to bother some of you, but we need to be transparent. We need to be honest, and we need to be realistic with the days we're living. There is no king in America for the majority. They've given up God for idols and the worst kind, those of their imagination. Doesn't it grieve you? Doesn't it burden you? I, 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 like Israel here, I, I, I want to stand up and say, enough. But it was prophesied. 27% of your Bible's prophecy, isn't it? It was prophesied. Remember Isaiah chapter 5. They'll call evil good and good evil. It was prophesied. We're, we're living in those days. And if you ask me what the origination of that sin is, I believe with everything that I am that it's pride and arrogance. It's a lack of individuals. And look, I can be there. I'm not putting myself in, in, in a different place. I can be there just like anybody else. When I'm not willing to humble myself before the Lord and pride ensues, as the Bible said, watch out. You're going to fall. There's going to be a snare laid for you. I mean, where do we go from here as the United States of America, as a country? Where do we go in this world? Have you guys been thinking about that lately with everything with COVID and then, and then now the riots? It's, it's not like, you know, growing up, you, oh, well, I'll buy an island somewhere and I'll travel to that island. There is no island anymore. It's all moving towards what we read in Revelation, a one-world government, a one-world religion, a governance model. It's happening. We read this as instruction. Please don't miss the opportunity to see what God does with his people when they humble themselves. There is still hope for our country. There is still hope for this world, and there is still hope for the sinner because of Jesus Christ and the work on the cross. And that's the good news, friends. And from the cities at that time, the children of Benjamin numbered 26,000 men who drew the sword. So out of 45,600, which would have roughly made up their population, Numbers chapter 26, we get that number from, we read here that 26,000 men drew the sword, right? Besides the inhabitants of Gibeah who numbered 700 select men. 
Among all this people were 700 select men who were left-handed. Everyone could sling a stone at a hair's breadth and not miss. Now, the Holy Spirit is always teaching us, isn't he? I don't believe verse 16 is put together just any sort of way. If you exegete the Hebrew and the language here, it's very interesting. What he's saying here, okay, what we read in Judges and what the Lord is speaking to us is he's saying these 700 men, they were very accurate. They were very good at what they did. But even as good as they were, there was still a problem. They didn't miss. Do you know what that word miss is in the Hebrew? It's our word for sin. Isn't that interesting? To miss the mark. Isn't that what we say sin is? Remember when I was in, I remember when I was in, I was going to say, I, you remember, but you remember, what number of years ago, five years ago, I was in Central America. I was on a missions trip. And I was over in Belize, and we were in the, the, the jungle area, kind of region area. And I remember going in and doing a, a, a children's VBS as well as evangelizing in a bunch of different churches, speaking, teaching the Word of God, and, and really making disciples, right? When we were over there, the kids would love to come up. You'd get 100, 150 kids. They would love to come up. VBS was amazing, just getting around them, giving the Word of God. And if you took out a lollipop, oh, man, watch out, because they were coming at you. And uh, I, I remember... Uh, one of our uh, servants that was with us, literally, uh, the, the pulpit, everything, woo, fell down because they, they, they went right on them. They, they're such good kids. They love. In that country, I believe it's 12 years old that you go to, um, to their army for a period of a year or two. I think it's 12 or I can't remember. It's either 12 or 15. They go to like a kind of boot camp army. It's not like what we would say is official service, but it's more like a training for their government for everything like that. They do that. And I remember these kids, and there was one of them, young men, and he was getting ready to go that, I think it was two months from when we were leaving, he was getting ready to go, and he was very uh, excited to be able to serve his country and to, to do the things like that, and um, he got saved, and we were very excited about that. But when we were there, I remember taking him aside, and I said, you know, your walk's not going to be easy. You know, you're living in a country where there's a lot of demonic and spiritual, you know, just spiritual warfare. And I said, you accepted Jesus Christ. Not everybody else has done that. You now have to minister and disciple and evangelize to your tribe, to your nation, to your people, so that they come to Christ. And he's like, I'm going to do it. I'm a soldier for God. I mean, it's, you just tear. I mean, you just broke my, such a beautiful boy. Um, but I remember taking and using, you know, very much, I mean, they use machetes over there, okay, very, like, you know, 10-year-olds and 8-year-olds have machetes, and they're just cutting, they, they, you know, this little boy climbed a tree and pulled down a mango like, like it was, you know, I, I'm sitting there going, wow, even when I was 8, I couldn't do that. You know, it was just amazing how the youth, and he, to kind of appeal to, to, to his mind, to his understanding of how he looked at things, I remember making, you know, the, the bow and arrow and an archery. And I said, I said, son, when, when you pull back and you aim, I said, and you have the crosshair and you have the sight and what you're aiming at, okay? I said, you take a deep breath and you steady, right? You bring everything into submission before you fire, 
right? Anybody's hunted, you know this. Anybody that's been in the military, you know this. You bring everything down, you reduce your heart rate, and then you shoot. It's, it's more accurate, okay? Well, I remember taking, telling the boy, I said, you take it back, and I said, now what happens if you move a little bit to the left or a little bit to the right? He says, you're going to miss your target. And I said, son, you just, you just defined sin. You just defined sin. He got very excited about that. You know, I want us to think about that for a minute. Look what it says here. And not miss. They were so talented. They were, they were so sharp. And yet, they definitely didn't miss sin, did they? Very interesting. Very interesting use of the word by the Holy Spirit. Now, besides verse 17, now besides Benjamin, the men of Israel numbered 400,000 men. Okay, are we getting the picture here? 26,000 men plus the 700 of Gibeah, you know, going against the 400,000 men who drew the sword. All of these were men of war. Then the children of Israel rose and went up to the house of God to inquire of God. They said, which of us shall go up to the first battle against the children of Benjamin? What did they do right? They sought the Lord. They sought the Lord. This is wonderful, right? I remember maybe a month ago as I was sharing in the book of Galatians or even earlier, maybe 2 Corinthians, I said we need to be prayed up, right? We always need to be prayed up. We need to be in the will of God. And then we need to be ready for the battle. You remember that? Well, here they are. They, I mean, that's right out of the word of God. Here they are. They're getting ready. They go up to the Lord. They inquire of God. It says, which children should go, you know? And the Lord said, Judah first. Now, God answered them, didn't he? He gave them a response. Now, if you received a response from the Lord, does that mean that God wants you to actually go now? Maybe, maybe not. No, yes, I don't know. We need to ask the right question. They asked a question and they got a specific answer, didn't they? This is very important for us because this is, you know, much like when you read Job and you wonder why uh, sometimes terrible things happen to those that are walking in the Lord. We learn that there are a lot of other things going on. There's spiritual warfare. You read the book of Ephesians after Galatians. In a couple of weeks, we'll be starting the book of Ephesians. And we learn about Ephesians chapter 6 and the spiritual battle, not of flesh and blood. You, you remember that? So this is very important for us because I, I hope we all go to the Lord, right? We all come to the God and ask him about questions regarding our lives. Lord, what would you have us to do? And often he'll answer. Do we presume from that answer that God is with us and telling us, go now or wait? You know, that's where relationship's important. You know, you talk to friends and family members in your home. You're very, you know, communicate, you know, you communicate often. You know what they're doing. When are you coming home? When are you going? All this is important. Detail's important. Why is it sometimes Christians don't involve God in the details? He's a detailed God. He knows every hair on your head. He's a God of details. Yet often, excuse me, often we don't involve him in the details. We give him the cliff notes and then say, are, are we good? Are we good, Lord? Right? I, I hope we're being honest. 
So underline that in your Bible. This is good. This is the first time I want you to see that, the first time we're going to see this. So the children of Israel rose in the morning. The children of Israel rose in the morning and encamped against Gibeah. And the men of Israel went out to battle against Benjamin. And the men of Israel put themselves in battle array to fight against um, them at Gibeah. Then the children of Benjamin came out of Gibeah. And on the, that day, they cut to the ground 22,000 men of, Israelite, of, the, of Israel, basically, the Israelites. What gives? What gives? Did you know that's possible? That you can go to the Lord and he can give you an answer? And then you go out presuming based on that answer? And yet it does not at all go the way you would intend or plan. Why? That's a good question, right? Why? I mean, we all want to know how, you know, we are, he's our father. We want to know how to speak and talk and what do we do in the character of God. Why? I mean, did they pray? Did they seek the Lord for his will? Were they ready for the battle? I would suggest to you two out of the three they did. They were ready for the battle, right? Were they in the will of God? I, I believe they were. I believe they were in the will of God because didn't God want to deliver, right? He wants to deliver. God wants to deliver that way, and God wants to bring righteous judgment. Would God not want to judge those uh, sodomites, those that would rape, those that would turn around and murder? All justice is going to happen. The wrath of the Lamb will be poured out one day to a world that has thumbed their nose to God because of pride and arrogance. Judgment will come. God is just very long-suffering and patient because he's love, and he desires that many would repent and be reconciled to God. And that's what's happening right now. We're due for judgment in this country, aren't we? I mean, look at the sin. We're due for judgment. But every day that goes on that God doesn't evoke the great tribulation and doesn't rapture the church and remove the church is a day he's pouring out his grace, his love and mercy. Every single day, you and I are crying out, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, come. But then when we think of a prodigal, a loved one, someone we know that doesn't know Christ, a sister, a brother, a nephew, would we wait one more day if they could come to the Lord? Every one of us would say yes, even if it was the most difficult day of our lives. What wouldn't we do for another soul to be with us in heaven? Just one soul, right? And the people, that is, the men of Israel, encouraged themselves and again formed the battle line at the place where they had put themselves in array the first day. They had a pep talk. They got unified. We can do this. That's what that means. Then the children of Israel went up and wept before the Lord until evening and asked the counsel of the Lord, saying, Shall I again draw near for battle against the children of my brother Benjamin? And the Lord said, Go up against them. Do you, do you see this? God is allowing for what? He's allowing for humility and correction. Ultimately, what's God after for these 11 tribes, these really 10, not counting the tribe of Levi? You know, Levi. What's he really looking for? I, I mentioned it in my introduction. He's looking for reconciliation. He wants repentance. They've done everything but repent. 
So the children of Israel approached the children of Benjamin on the second day, and Benjamin wept, or sorry, went out against from the from them or from Gibeah on the second day and cut to the ground eighteen thousand more of the children of Israel. All these drew the sword. Are, are you counting that? So we've seen what, you know, twenty-two thousand men, and then eighteen thousand men. Do I need to remind you the army size again between Judah and Benjamin? Nearly less than half. And yet Benjamin is, is giving victory. What is God doing? Is, is Israel wrong to stand up against rape and murder? Lord, why are you allowing this? Because this is an action sermon for Israel. They're so quick to notice the sin in Gibeah because it's right in front of them, but they've ignored their own sin. Then all the children of Israel, that is, all the people went up and came to the house of God and wept. They sat there before the Lord and fasted that day until evening. Okay, now we're getting to the language. The language in the Hebrew tells us a little something different. Prayer and fasting. They sat up with the Lord. So now it's not just what? It's not just ready for the battle. Okay? It's not just in the will of God, which they had those two already. Two times they went out. But they didn't pray. Yes, you might say, well, they were talking to God. Of course, that's prayer. Yes, but they weren't praying. They weren't fasting. They weren't, you know, supplicating themselves like that in submission to God. They couldn't even hear the Holy Spirit saying, you've sinned against me. Repent, for today is the day of salvation. They fasted that day until evening, and they offered burnt offerings. That's, that's it right there. Burnt offerings, remember, under the old covenant, for, was for what? It was sin. Sin offerings, right? It was for the sin, sin issue. And peace offerings before the Lord. Now we see repentance. Verse 27, circle the whole passage in your Bible. This is the turning point. Maybe some of us in our lives have had situations where we've had dry spells. We, we've, we've been in the will of the Lord. We've sought the Lord in that. We've turned around and got ready for the battle. But maybe we didn't pray and fast and wait on God with a, you know, a, a heart that was submitted before the Lord. It makes a difference how we come to God in our relationship with him. I often pray many times when, when I'm praying or I'm reading and there's something really, you know, troubling me, there's times where I, I, I will pause, I will pray or I will fast for the day or I'll do, and I'll sit there and I'll wait on the Lord because I'm not hearing from God like I normally do. Something's off. And he may or may not reveal to me what exactly it is. He allows, because of humility, he allows, he's such a good dad, he allows for that correction that usually by that day or two or three weeks later, I'm a little, you know, testador in Italian. I mean, he's a hard head. I'm a little hard headed. Okay. So two or three weeks later, if this goes on, finally, I get to the point of where I'm, I'm on my knees. I'm on my face before the Lord. And something comes into my mind from the Holy Spirit. And I recognize, oh, I never repented. Was this right? Was this, did I misrepresent God in this? 
What happened to Moses when he misrepresented God? He never got to go into the promised land, right? There are consequences to sin. But we're so quick to, as born-again believers, we're so quick to jump over that sometimes and not realize that sin in our lives absolutely affects our relationship with Jesus. There's no condemnation, but there is conviction. Now, please, I don't want to see anybody take this to an extreme. That's where we run into religion. There are churches out there where people are sick and hurting or something's happened, and the first time you walk into a church like that, you'll know it because they turn around and say, well, you ain't got enough faith, brother, or you ain't got enough faith, sister. Or they'll turn around and say, man, what did you do? Right? What did you do? That You got some heavy sin on your back. Man, it's like Job. What kind of friend? You got friends like that. Who do you need, right? I mean, what's your enemies like? Wow. So we got to be careful. We're not on a sin hunt. We're not on a witch hunt here that way. A sin hunt, I call it that. Right? We're not on that. But, but we also want to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and his leading. If there's sin in our lives, we want to bring it to the Lord and deal with it. And we want to do it as quick as possible so that we restore right relationship. You guys tracking with me? You can see this. So the children of Israel inquired of the Lord. The Ark of the Covenant of God was there in those days. And Phineas, right, this tells us right here, circle that in your Bible. This tells us exactly how early this was, right? This is in the early days of Judges. That's one of the reasons I believe that Chapters 18, 19, 20, and 21 really occurred probably within the first or second chapter, if you look at chronologically in the book of Judges. Because Phinehas, if you remember him from Numbers chapter 25, verse 7, or Joshua chapter 8, verse 4, right? Well, sorry, it would be Numbers chapter 25, verse 7, not, not Josh 8, 4. But, but when you look at it, you remember him? He was very zealous for the Lord, right? So this has to be in the early days like that. Remember when they went in and uh, the, they were, you know, they, Balaam turned around and was going to bring the Moabitess women to have relations with Israel to try to get them to commit idolatry and intermarry. And Phineas had caught the man and the woman in the tent and he drives through the state, you know, the, the spear that way, um, zealous for God and his law, his heart and commandments and statutes. So clearly we see Phineas here again on the scene. So that tells us this book is, is this chapter really was earlier. So you, just to give you an idea chronologically. The son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, stood before it in those days, saying, Shall I yet again go out to battle against the children of my brother Benjamin, or shall I cease? Now, I love that. That's beautiful. Now we're getting very detailed and very specific. Lord, that's my brother. Should I really do that? You know, when you go over to Israel, all the Arab people, they're, they're cousins, right? That's cousins. This is my brother. Should I do that? Beautiful detail. And the Lord said, go up, for tomorrow I will deliver them in your hand. What changed? What changed? Verse 26 changed. Verse 27 changed. Changes everything. Repentance changes everything. Then Israel set men in ambush all around Gibeah. That's a similar, similar tactic to what they did in Ai, if you remember that with Joshua. And we kind of talked about that, Joshua chapter 8, verse 4, when we were going through the book. And, and they had the tactic in the ambush. And you can go back and listen to the teachings. But they do a similar tactic here to Ai. 
And the children of Israel went up against the children of Benjamin on the third day and put themselves in battle array against Gibeah as the same as other times. So the children of Benjamin went out against the people and were drawn away from the city. They began to strike down and kill some of the people as the other as at other times in the highways. One of them, one of which goes up to Bethel, and the other which uh, the other to Gibeah, and in the field about thirty men of Israel. And the children of Benjamin said, "They are defeated before us." As first, what goes before the fall again? Pride. Do you see the, the, the pride and arrogance now? You can't miss it. This is why they didn't humble themselves earlier when they were, you know, approached by the tribes of Israel. But the children of Israel said, let us flee and draw them away from the city to the highways. So all the men of Israel rose from their place and put themselves in battle array at Baal Tamar. Then Israel's men in ambush burst forth from the position in the plain of Gibeah, and 10,000 select men, Giba, I meant to say, sorry, select men from all of Israel camp came against Gibeah, and the battle was fierce, but the Benjaminites did not know the disaster was upon them. Verse 35, the Lord defeated Benjamin. Please underline that in your Bibles. All glory goes to God. When we humble ourselves and pray before our Lord and fast, when we get and make sure we're in the will of God, when we prepare for the battle, then and only then can we expect the victory. And when we receive the victory, it will always be by the hand of the Lord, never by our doing. The Lord defeated Benjamin before Israel, and the children of Israel destroyed that day 25,100 Benjaminites. All these drew the sword. That's almost all of Benjamin when you, when you really think about it. So the children of Benjamin saw that they were defeated. The men of Israel had given, around, or given ground to the Benjaminites because they relied on the men in ambush whom they had set against Gibeah. And the men in ambush quickly rushed upon Gibeah. The men in ambush spread out and struck the whole city with the edge of the sword. What happened now? They went out against Benjamin, the 700 that were from Gibeah, but now they didn't stop. They didn't stop. Now the appointed signal between the men of Israel and the men in ambush was that they would make a great cloud of smoke rise up from the city, whereupon the men of Israel would turn in battle, which means they would turn away, right? Now Benjamin had begun to strike and kill about 30 of the men of Israel, for they said, surely they are defeated for us as in the first battle. But the, when the cloud began to rise from the city in a column of smoke, the Benjamites looked behind them, and there was the whole city going up. In smoke to heaven, they're just catching up. Benjamin, at this point, remember they were just—they killed another thirty. They think, man, we got the victory. They turn around, right? The smoke signal. They turn around, and what are they seeing? The city on fire, everything being destroyed, because Israel flanked them and went around and began to destroy all of this area, all the tribe of Benjamin and Gibeah, and all of this. Okay. And when the men of Israel turned back, the men of Benjamin panicked. For they saw the disaster had come upon them, right? They knew they were caught in the trap. Therefore, they turned their backs before the men of Israel in the direction of the wilderness, but the battle overtook them. And whoever came out of these cities, they destroyed in their midst. The surrounded the Benjamites, chased them, and easily trampled them down as far as the front of Gibeah toward the east. And 18,000 men of Benjamin fell. All these were men of valor, okay? 
Then they turned and fled toward the wilderness to the rock of Rimon, and they cut down 5,000 of them on the highways. Then they pursued them relentlessly to the to uh, the Gindam and killed 2,000 men. Gideon there. So all, so all who fell of Benjamin that day were 25,000 men who drew the sword, and all these were men of valor. When you read it, the reason I'm pausing is going to read because it actually looks like it's another 20,000. It's, it's, it's not. They're summarizing it, bringing it back in, and saying, no, it was the 25,000 men who drew the sword, and all these were men of valor, right? That's, that's really what they're saying and what they're telling us and what we're going to read here is only the remnant is what remains, the small portion. But 600 men turned and fled toward the wilderness to the Rock of Ramon, and they stayed at the Rock of Ramon for four months. Think about that. All the numbers that Benjamin had down to 600, right? And the men of Israel turned back against the children of Benjamin and struck them down with the edge of the sword from every city, men and beasts, all who were found, they all, and they set, also set fire to all the cities they came. Now, at that point, in your margin, please make a note. Severity. The punishment, right, must fit the crime. What we see here, this was too severe. God didn't tell them to go and destroy every single, you know, city like that. Gibeah was the problem, and specifically within Gibeah, the men that had committed rape, right, and murder. But because of the sin of Benjamin, because of them turning back, what it does is it ensnare, it infuriates and brings anger to the tribe of Judah and Israel, the people that are going out, and they end up destroying all of the cities surrounding that area, leaving such a small remnant of 600 people. And they set fires to the cities. You see, anger and emotion, you know what it does? It leads to regret. It leads to foolishness. And we're going to read that in chapter 21. I just want you to think about that. They're going to actually regret this. They're going to come back and regret this because of anger. It just reminds me, you know, who is the righteous judge? The Lord Jesus Christ, right? You can look in your Bibles. At Isaiah, turn to Isaiah chapter 33, verse 22. Isaiah chapter 33, verse 22. I love this verse. Again, it ties perfectly with it where we are in the book of Judges right now. Because what didn't, what did it say right in the beginning of the chapters? There was no king in Israel, right? It's very declarative, verse 22, Isaiah chapter 33. For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our what? King. And then if you continue reading, what's it say? He will save us. When you have all three of those together, right? It's the perfect, it's God, it's his equation, right? When you have the king, when God is preeminent, Jesus Christ is preeminent in your life, when you have the word of God and you submit yourself to the word of God that way to follow his commandments and statutes, right? And when you look to God for his righteousness in judging, not 
us. We're never to judge one another. We're fruit inspectors, but we're never to judge. When you follow those instructions, the, the, those three things, you will always arrive at the right decision, and you won't have regret. You won't, you won't turn around and allow your emotion or anger to overtake you. Does anybody here ever struggle with anger? Anybody here ever struggle with, you know, emotions and things happening in their lives? Yeah. Most of us, right? It's because we take our eyes off Jesus. We, we don't have our eyes on the king. We, we, we forget that there's a God that's righteous that does judge, and he judges righteously. And the, the, the punishment does fit the crime. There are consequences to sin, and God handles that beautifully, far better than you and I ever could, right? And isn't he the one that saves? As we read in Isaiah chapter 33, verse 22. What's Romans chapter 12, 17 tells us? Remember when we went through the book of Romans? Do not repay evil for evil. What about 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 15? Chapter 5, verse 15. It's the same idea. Do not repay evil for evil. God says, vengeance is mine. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 35. Vengeance is the Lord's. Again, let's, let's track here. Was Israel right to stand in the gap because of the sin of Gibeah? Yes. Was Israel right to seek the Lord and ask for his will to prepare for the battle? And most importantly, before you do any of those, pray. They just happen to do it last. Pray and fast and repent and be right with God. Yes. Did God give them over the victory against Benjamin? Yes, they did the third time when they had all three, not the first two. And then what did Israel do? Israel allowed their emotions and their anger to consume them that they almost eradicated an entire tribe of their brothers, their sisters. These are God's chosen people. If Israel can do it with one of their own, you better believe we're capable of it. Every one of us here is capable of murder. Do you know that? Every one of us is capable of murder when we allow anger and our emotions to turn around and manipulate us because we get out of the will of God. And that's exactly what happened here. And that's why we're better off leaving vengeance to the Lord. But look, look at what God's going to do. He's so good and perfect. Look at how they're going to turn around and, and come to God. They're, they're actually going to almost blame God for this in some ways. And almost ask God, what are, you, what are you going to do to fix it? Yeah, I know. We, we look at this, what? But again, what did we learn so far tonight in chapter 20 and 21? 
we easily see the sin in other people's eyes, right? And remember that Jesus said, you know, the plank and the, I think of that, you know, hey, be careful of the speck in your neighbor's eye and you turn around and clock them with the, with the two by four in your eye. I love that analogy of our Lord. He made it crystal clear what he's talking about, right? We got to be careful because we could do the same thing. We could sit there and go, no, we, did. we would never do that. And something happens, we go to the Lord and go, well, Lord, you got to do, you, you got to fix it. And God's like, well, excuse me, <laughs> what? I'm sorry, I gave you over to your, your carnality. I let you, you, you have a choice of sin. You're a born again believer. You have the Holy Spirit. You no longer are conquered by sin. Romans chapter six, you, you're no longer conquered. You've been given a new nature. You did that. I did that. We need to repent and then watch how God delivers us. Now, the men of Israel had sworn an oath at Mizpah. Again, we've seen a lot of oath swearing here. Do Do you remember a few chapters back? Unless, like Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Jephthah. You know what I'm thinking of. Jephthah, right? The oath he takes, and next thing you know, he goes home to his daughter, first person he sees, and she ends up having to go and, and you know, work at the temple that way. And God didn't tell them to do that. God didn't tell them to do this. We ha- There's something that we can learn from this. Israel, you know, God's chosen people, even literally them dwelling with God in the tabernacle, right? In, in the holy of the mercy seat, the holy of holies, they're dwelling right in that, the mercy seat, you know, right there. And guess what? You know, we've always said, oh, it's, you know, if I could have just, if God, if Jesus was just standing before me, things would be different. No, they wouldn't. <laughs> no, they wouldn't. You would do the same thing. You would do the same thing. You don't believe me? Read your New Testament 2,000 years ago. Jesus was the cornerstone that the builders rejected. Let's not forget that. I put him on that cross. I put Jesus on that cross. So now the men of Israel had sworn an oath at Mitzvah, saying, none of us shall give his daughter to Benjamin as a wife. What? I mean, just think about that. Then the people came to the house of God and remained there before God till evening. They lifted up their voices and wept bitterly and said, O Lord of Israel, why has this come to pass in Israel, that today there should be one tribe missing in Israel? Clearly we see regret, but what are they also saying? O Lord God, why is this so? Can I tell you what I would have said? You tell me. I didn't tell you to do it. Did you presume did you take it a step further? Were, were you acting out righteous justice? Did you seek me on going further? God's so gracious. He just stays silent. He just stays silent. So it was on the next morning that the people rose early and built an altar there and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. They're like, hey, we're catching on. We're learning here, right? Prayer and fasting, repentance in right relationship. That's important. It didn't take them two tries to go out into a battle and to have their own, you know, forces dwindled before they realized they 
they weren't in right relationship with God. They now, and, and I say this because it is beautiful, Israel, in this particular case, they're learning. Now, what's so interesting, again, remember, this is in the early chapters of the book of Judges. We know as we've got to chapter 17 how it all ends. And we'll read, you know, Ruth, and we'll continue on first and, you know, second Kings, we'll chronicle. We'll, we'll read these things. And ultimately, you, if you know your Old Testament, you know your Bible, it, it leads for these tribes, the Israel right here, it, it leads to captivity and the Assyrian invasion. And even for Judah, it leads to the Babylonian captivity. Was that God's design for them when he gave them the covenant through Abraham originally? No. Do you think that God's design for the United States of America right now is to be acting the harlot or playing the harlot in idolatry? He blessed this nation, didn't he? This nation was founded on Judeo-Christian morality. I've said on Sunday, if some of you were with us, I said, do you remember 20 years ago? The things, the way we did, I mean, how much has changed? Do you, I remember when personal computers were going to come out and they were going to help make everybody more efficient. What? All the technology's done is distance us. And now they're even hiding around it. What are they calling it? Social distancing. No. I need to be social. I was built by the Lord God to be social. I was built to have interaction, to be a part of a family and a familiar relationship. God designed that. I get that we want to practice the CDC distancing, but why are we calling it social? Remember, everything we see, the words matter. Just like when we read the Hebrew there, miss means sin. It matters. The words matter. There's something afoot. There's something going on. There's a, a behavioral modification and a, a change being presented to us in this design of social distancing. Shouldn't it be human distancing? Or something else? Right? I call it something else, whatever. So it was on the next morning that the people rose early and built an altar there, and they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. And the children of Israel said, Who is there among all the tribes of Israel who did not come up with the assembly to the Lord? Now, again, Wow. This is their answer. You talk about two wrongs don't make a right. So they already got themselves into trouble. They went and repented. And then now they're going to go and find another tribe and people. And they're going to take the women and murder everybody else there so that they can fix the wrong they did to the tribe of Benjamin. Is, that, is anybody paying attention tonight? I mean, What? Aren't you glad the Lord has preserved this for us? Because you wouldn't believe it if I told it to you. If I told you the oral account, and I, no, pastor, come on, no. Yes. And you know what? 
We're doing the same thing today. Two wrongs don't make a right. We just keep digging it deeper and deeper. Look at this here. So after they get right with the Lord, verse 4, and then in verse 5, who is there among the tribes of Israel who did not come up with us uh, with the assembly of the Lord? For they had made a great oath concerning anyone who did not come up to the Lord at Mitzpah. This is interesting. So what they're saying right there, they're turning around and they're saying, you know, hey, whoever wasn't with us, they didn't take that oath. So let's get them. What? I just have to keep saying that. What? Saying, he shall surely be put to death. And the children of Israel grieved for Benjamin, their brother, and said, one tribe is cut off from Israel today. Please look for a moment with me at Romans chapter 12 again. Let's just turn. I, 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 really, I really believe the Lord wants to speak to our hearts Very, very important. Very, very important. Romans chapter 12, verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. Do you see that? Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 2, please. Why? Because people are watching. More is caught than taught. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 2. You are an epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Believers are letters written by God upon them when the word of God is in your heart. They can read you much like they would an epistle. It might be the only epistle they do read. They may never pick up a Bible, but through their interactions with you, they'll come into an understanding of what it is to be a Christian and if they see us behaving in anger and emotion, just like everyone else, then what are we teaching them? What are we really teaching them? We, we can take our Bibles and we can read our Bibles and we can invite them to a Bible study. But if we walk out of here and we walk in our homes and we're, we're you know, the audio and video don't match, we're hypocritical, what are we teaching people? That Christians say one thing and do another? Christians believe one thing but practice something else? Two wrongs don't make a right. We have to be careful. Let the audio and video match. Let there be truth. Let everything we do be Christ-centered. Yes, that means there's times where we're going to be humbled. Can I use, you know, the proverbial idea of egg on your face? Yes, that's okay. We don't have to have all the answers. We, we're going to mess up. We're going to blow it. We're going to come short. But God has given us the ingredients, as we just read, on how to get right. Prayer and fasting, seeking God in his will, and then preparing for the battle. 
If we do that, we'll never surrender the foundation of Jesus Christ. We'll never build a house on a poor foundation. Well, let's close out the rest of the book here. They were so busy grieving in verse 6 for Benjamin that they didn't realize they were about to commit murder. What shall we do for wives for those who remain, seeing we have sworn by the Lord that we will not give them our daughters as wives? And they said, what is there from the tribe of Israel who did not come up to Mizpah? And in fact, no one had come to the camp from Jabesh Gilead to the assembly. For when the people were counted, indeed, not one of its inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead was there. Again, a foolish vow now causing murder. Let me, let me just say that. If you take a vow to the Lord, we read that with Jephthah. It's the same thing. If you took a, a vow to the Lord, and then you turn around, and that vow involves sin, or you doing something to complete and honor that vow, God doesn't want you to keep that vow. If that means you're going to murder or break his decalogue or moral law in any other way. Because again, two wrongs don't make a right. So the congregation sent out the tw- their 12,000 of the most valiant men and commanded them saying, go and strike. Notice it says the congregation sent out. It didn't say the Lord. Go and strike the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead with the edge of the sword, including the women and children. Do you see that? And this is the thing that you shall do. You shall utterly destroy every male and every woman who has known a man intimately. So they found among the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead 400 young virgins who had not known a man intimately. And they brought them to the camp at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan. Then the whole congregation sent word to the children of Benjamin who were at the rock of Ramon and announced peace of them. Remember the 600 that were there for four months? He announces to them, hey, we got some ladies for you. Come on up. And, and they're like, oh, okay. Like, everything's okay. You know. Meanwhile, they just eradicated and slaughtered the entire tribe of Benjamin. But we got some girls for you. It just tells you nobody's seeking the Lord in this. Nobody's praying through this. I mean, look at the sin. Did they, you know, go, they knew the word of God. They knew the law. They knew Joshua. They, they, this wasn't far removed from that. What was this, probably 10, 15 years, 12 years like that? Again, chronologically, first couple chapters of Judges. They know Phineas. They know what happened with the Moabitess women and all the things that had happened when they came up and... Uh, we're trying to seduce the men. They know of the idolatry. Now, granted, these are not foreign women. These are of their own. But still, you know, where are their husbands? Where did you get these women from? What's going on? And then look what they do. It's like, it's sick how they set this up. They, they have them come to an area where they're, they're like a communal area where they have them dancing and doing things. And then they invite Benjamin to kind of like, almost like a hunt to come into the area and kind of eye out and, you know, okay, I like that lady. I'll go up and talk to her. And what? Then the whole congregation sent word to the children of Benjamin who were at the rock of Ramon and announced peace to them. So Benjamin came back at that time and they gave them the women who they had saved alive of the women of Jabesh Gilead, and yet they had not found enough for them. 600 verse 400. And the people grieved for Benjamin, because the Lord had made a void in the tribes of Israel. Whoa, did the Lord do that? 
Or did Israel do that? Why is it recorded this way? Because God is faithful. You need to know this. Every single verse, every passage you in the Bible, especially when we get to Ecclesiastes and we read about vanity and Psalm, when we read many things and, and there's the transparency, just like with Abraham and Sarah, his half-sister, and he lied and it's recorded and kept for us. It doesn't mean God agreed with that. It doesn't mean God honored that or even authored that. What he's doing is he's showing us the hearts of these men in Israel that and what they were doing and how they were compromising and, and, and you know, basically blaming God or, or saying this is God's fault and God had nothing to do with it. They were projecting their own sin onto a holy God is what they were doing. And the people grieved for Benjamin because the Lord had made a void in the tribes of Israel. Then the elders of the congregation said, What shall we do for wives for those who remain since the women of Benjamin have been destroyed? And they said, There must be an inheritance for the survivors of Benjamin that a tribe may not be destroyed from Israel. Well, now you think of that, right? Where, where was that in verse 1 of chapter 21 before you went out and destroyed and slaughtered Jabesh Gilead? And, and, and before you turned around, even before that, in, in chapter 20, and you decided to destroy and murder all of the cities of Benjamin. However, we cannot give them wives from our daughters, for the children of Israel have sworn an oath, saying, Cursed be the one who gives a wife to Benjamin. Then they said, In fact, there is a yearly feast of the Lord in Shiloh, which is north of Bethel on the east side of the highway that goes up from Bethel to Shechem in the south of Lebna. Therefore they instructed the children of Benjamin, saying, Go lie in wait in the vineyards. And watch just when the daughters of Shiloh come out to perform their dances. They shall come out to the vineyards and every man catch. See that? Catch. As though it's a sport. A wife for himself from the daughters of Shiloh. Then go to the land of Benjamin. This is the best they can do? Rather than saying, you know, God, that was a foolish, you know, vow. By the way, in Leviticus, you provided a way that if we make foolish vows, we can you know, basically annul that by paying, you know, to the town, you know, basically to the tabernacle like that, uh, a sacrifice, we can do something to annul that. That was a foolish vow. But rather than doing that and humbling themselves, Israel, they said, you know what, go to Shiloh and you'll see these women dancing and, um, you know, spy out the one that you think is a, is a good fit. All wrong. All wrong. These are not matters of the heart. These are not knowing the inward beauty of those women that God has knit there for a beautiful relationship. This is all exterior. It's, it, it's all outward facing. That's the work of man, the flesh, and the devil. This is not the work of God. But God prever, you know, preserves this so he allows us to see the depravity and how it continues. And it's like a snowball. It just keeps rolling and getting bigger and bigger. And they think, you know, even along the ride or the way, you look at it and it's like, okay, Israel, you're getting it now. You're turning to the Lord. You're humbling yourselves. You're praying. You're fasting. And then what do they do in the next moment? They go off and murder Jabesh Gilead. That makes me aware of something incredible. The idea of what God has given us in grace and free will. That because we have the Holy Spirit does not mean that the Holy Spirit in some way controls us to not have us go after sin. He does everything he can to prompt us not to, right? We've been given victory over sin, Romans 6 again, Romans 7. 
But there's still a choice and a battle that goes on for every one of us, any sin we have in our lives, whatever the sin is. It's a battle, and we know it's a battle, and it's never easy. But we have to go to the Lord for the victory. The victory is not going to come in ourselves. We can't do it. But through the Lord Jesus Christ, all things are possible. It's a great reminder for me because it, it allows me to know that, wait a minute, where's the read step? Some of you football players, I remember growing up playing football. You know, when you're on the front line, you can tell if it's a pass or a block. When you look at the front line, you look at their fingertips. If their fingertips are pushed down and they've got pressure, where are they going to do? They're going to lunge forward, right, to hold the line because it's a, it's a run, right? I was messing with you guys. It's a run. You guys are looking at me. It's a pass. No, it's a run. They're moving forward, and they're going to, they're going to run an option, either read option or something. I'm so, so many people are like, what? What is he talking about? He just went football on me. They're going to run an option. They're going, to do, they're going to run the ball, right? And you could tell because they're pushed down. That means they're going forward. However, when the line lines up and they put their hands there, but there's no pressure, they don't turn white. They don't, they don't uh, you know, the pressure on the fingertips don't show. What's that mean? Right? Do I have to do my football? Remember this? Some of you guys played football. Our block, right? Blocking. Come on. Some of you? Anybody? All right. Well, you block, right? What's that mean they're going to do? That means the quarterback's going to pass. So the front line is doing what? Are they just lining up and just looking around? No. They're intentional. They have a plan. They're looking. They're watching for the read step. They're looking for the read. We need to do the same thing in our Christian walk. What is the Lord showing us? We need to take those read steps. And it shall be when their fathers or their brothers come out to complain that we will say to them, be kind to them for our sakes because we did not take a life for any of them in the war for it is not as though you have given the woman to them at this time making yourselves guilty of your oath. No, instead you'll kidnap them. And the children of Benjamin did so. They took enough wives for their numbers from those who danced whom they caught. They w- then they went and returned to their inheritance and they rebuilt their cities and dwelt in them. So the children of Israel departed from there at that time, every man to his tribe, and the family they went out uh, from there, every man to his inheritance. You know what's really interesting to me about this? Saul. Think about how different, because of Israel's sin with Benjamin, how different things could have been. Saul, the first king of Israel, was from the tribe of Benjamin. Paul, in our New Testament, who spoke to much of the Gentiles, right? Converts, planted churches. You and I, praise the Lord, are here because of the work of Paul as he went into Europe and other areas in Asia Minor, you know, and what have you, right? Because of the disciples he made, I should say, in Asia Minor, they went into Europe and other areas, and Christianity, thank you, Jesus, multiplied. 
because of many of the faithful witness of that man. And that man was from the tribe of Benjamin. Does the end justify the means? Never. Never. Before this pandemic, we had churches turning around and having Bible studies in pubs in the UK and in our area. We actually had folks talk about a church they had um, attended previously where their midweek studies were at the pastor's house with six packs of beer. So when you, when you think, Pastor, come on, you know, this is how many thousands of years ago, compromise like that, we don't see that anymore since alive and well, friends. We need to be on guard. We need to be on guard. They went out there from every man, uh, from there, every man to his inheritance. And again, in verse 25, just in case you wonder why all this happened that way, why there was such compromise, why there was such idolatry, why they turned around and there was such murder, and why the evil and all the different things going on. Remember when we read of the Levite, he would have been better off going to Jebu or the Jebusites, right, which would have been in Jerusalem. He would have been better off going to a foreign land than to his own people. In those days, there was no king. Again, a spiritual reminder. In Israel, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Please note, it's in man's eyes, not God's. We need to see through God's eyes. God's 2020. 400 years, we just read. That's what's comprised in the book of Judges, some 400 years there or so. You know what? If it's one thing that this book teaches us today and the word that it gives us today from the Holy Spirit is it's time to do it God's way. It's time to acknowledge the King, Jesus Christ, God Almighty, it's time to turn around and make our calling and election sure. And it's time to do it God's way. Amen? If we are faithful to do this, it's like Romans 12, 17. It's like 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 2. We're going to be those living epistles, known and read by men and women. Amen. Let's stand and pray. Next week.